0: My name is Alan Maynard, and this is my too many wonderful adjectives to list wife, Deidre. We've been together for 17 and a half years and married for 12 and a half of those. We have three amazing children, Paxton, who's eight, Blakely, who's about to be six, and Easton, who's four, and our fourth child to be born in September, Colson. I grew up in Phoenix, raised Jewish by a mother whose family was Jewish and a father whose family was Southern Baptist, but who'd been turned off to it as he'd seen it practiced. We were religious, going to temple uh, once a week and going to midweek classes part of the time, celebrating Jewish holidays and upholding traditions. However, this had zero bearing in influencing my family's life or my own. God was impersonal and distant and there was no relationship or true understanding of what he wanted for me, only what he seemed to want from me. My parents were loving and in many ways, I'm thankful for how I was raised. However, life was also chaotic in many ways. For as long as I can remember, my father was hot-tempered and angry, and I was frequently on eggshells around him. Later in college, I found out this was partly because he'd been a highly functioning alcoholic most of my life. This struggle with addiction became a part of the story for my brother and I as well. My mother, my mother struggled with depression and emotional issues which manifested in a fear of man and people-pleasing. Exodus thirty-four-seven says, apart from God, the iniquity or sin of the father and mother will be visited on children. I would come to find that this was true for me, not that I needed any help since I had plenty of my own sin to face. In my youth, I desired desperately to fit in and attain popularity, but instead I was an outcast with few friends. I was a nerdy kid, bullied mercilessly through most of grade school, often humiliated. I learned how gratifying hatred, anger, and unforgiveness appeared to be. That was a pattern that stayed with me, as did becoming hypersensitive to what others thought of me and not allowing myself to feel vulnerable, victimized, or mistreated.
1: My biological father was in a horrible train accident when I was young, leading him to excessive use of pain pills, which turned into harder drugs. He was never the same again. Mental illness ran in the family, and I didn't feel well-loved by his side of the family, and I witnessed a lot of chaos. On the other hand, my mom's side of the family was extremely loving and always there for us. My parents divorced when I was around five, and although my mom had us most of the time, we would visit our dad some weekends. What's most prominent in my memory was his need to have a steady stream of girlfriends. This seems to have shaped my mindset for seeing what codependency looked like. I vividly remember the last time I saw him, and since that day, there has been no communication. When my mom's new husband wanted to formally adopt my brother and me, our biological dad didn't even think twice before giving up his rights. And just like that, he was done with us. Although abandoned by my earthly father, I didn't know there was an even greater father battling for my attention, one that would never leave me or forsake me. My stepdad seamlessly took the place of my biological father and always made us feel as if we were his own. My parents kept us grounded and taught us a lot of great life lessons. They rarely argued. Although we were brought up in a peaceful, calm home, a model for handling conflict was not displayed well, which had a huge impact on me later, not knowing how to conduct myself when conflict ensued. Growing up, I was extremely shy and remember others laughing at and mocking me for silly things. I thought I must be an outcast and coped by retreating and isolating. I was filled with fear that I would disappoint people. I was a a good kid, made good grades, and graduated with honors. I was a great performer, but on the inside, I was timid and wanted to be accepted. Little did I know that Christ had already accepted me, regardless of how awkward I perceived myself to be. Growing up Catholic, I went through the motions of the religion, but I couldn't tell you who God was, and I certainly didn't understand that I could have a relationship with him, nor nor what that would look like. I found my identity in being in relationships and felt I needed to drink in order to open up for my shyness and for people to like me. I clung to guys who left me heartbroken, and the only way to cure that was to find another man that would love me. Connecting the dots, my biological father's endless stream of girlfriends subconsciously trained me for this. I felt worthless but craved this attention. I was leaning on my own ways to make myself happy. Proverbs 14.12 described me well. There's a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. Finally, it got to a point where I was tired and disappointed that none of my relationships were working out and was done trying. Then I met Alan.
0: I was a late bloomer, and combined with beginning to work out hard my first year in college, my physical appearance changed dramatically. I started getting attention from girls and thrived on it. During my freshman year of college, a friend brought me to a Young Life meeting where after hearing the Bible read and hearing about the truth of Jesus, I accepted Christ in prayer right there that night. Jesus tells the parable of the sower and that's how I describe my faith from that point. With shallow ground, I quickly sprouted up, passionate about the word and attended Young Life every week along with church usually twice a week. However, the appeals of the world choked out faith, where I had a corrupt belief that God was withholding good from me, not allowing me to pursue my fleshly desires right at the time I was able. And while I saw others around me, even those Christians, doing that and seeming to be fulfilled by it. So within six to 12 months, my faith was in name only. Once I'd reinstalled myself as my own God, the attention from girls I desperately sought after to feel a sense of worth finally came in abundance. And since it was all about feeding my identity, relationships were frequent, transactional, and inappropriate. I didn't know it at the time, but my history with pornography from a young age, combined with the wrong view of God's design for sexuality, resulted in sex addiction. Although I was doing well in college, my life revolved around drinking, partying, and nightclubs. Despite this, I had always thought of myself as a good guy that just hadn't met the right girl. A mutual friend had wanted to introduce Deidre and I, so in 2001, an end of spring break going away party my roommate and I were having ended up being that opportunity. At the time, we were both in college at Arizona State. I was 22 and Deidre was 18. I answered the door, saw Deidre for the first time, and knew that this was the girl for me. I spent the rest of the night staring at her and trying to strike up conversation. I would have gotten her Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, and Twitter usernames, but those things hadn't been invented yet. So I resorted to getting her phone number before she left. I took my buddy to the airport later that night for his flight, got back home around midnight and called Deidre. We talked until about 4 a.m. I knew instantly that I wanted to be with her and only her. Within a few days, we had committed to being only with each other. However, what I didn't realize is that patterns you create for yourself don't get turned on and off like a light switch. Within a few months, I broke the sanctity and trust of our relationship as I began a history of unfaithfulness with other women to continue to try to fill up what was empty and broken in me.
1: There was something about Alan that drew me in. Our relationship was great at first. Then we started fighting often due to trust issues, jealousy, and lies. Because of my need for a man to love and fulfill me, and because he stuck around longer than any of my other relationships, I thought it was a good idea to move in with him. But all the issues we had before were still there, and we did nothing to change them, other than make promises we knew we wouldn't keep. I stayed in the relationship, though. Romans 8.28 says that God works for the good of those that love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Well, he was there throughout all of this, and even though I didn't realize it, he was holding my hand, bringing me closer to knowing him and redeeming what was his.
0: John eight John 8.34 says, the one who practices sin is a slave to sin. As I said while dating, I was beginning to learn just how enslaved I was to sin, This led to serious distrust on both sides as Deidre's distrust of me led her to violating privacy and obsessive, aggressive behaviors that led to my own distrust. There was very little emotional intimacy and obviously spiritual intimacy was non-existent. And yet I couldn't imagine my life without Deidre because I did love her, although as as imperfectly as you possibly could. I was so angry at my own brokenness, lack of joy and inability to will myself to put a stop to sin that it overflowed towards Deidre. Luke 6:45 says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Conflict was extremely unhealthy. My normal response was frustration and anger where verbal abuse were common, and I'm still ashamed to think about it.
1: I could tell Alan loved me despite all of our issues. After college graduation, we both moved to Texas and decided to get married. We would talk about God, and based on our own understanding, we concluded that we didn't care to have anything to do with him. We were practically atheists and refused to get married by a pastor. We have a picture of oh, yeah, there it is, <laughs> um, after a fight a couple months before the wedding, I was contemplating calling the whole thing off, but didn't for fear of disappointment from others. My distrust, my husband had me running in circles, trying to be placed as he was at, keeping up with his schedule and outings, playing investigator, trying to hack into his accounts. It was exhausting. There were public fights, divorce threats, and me always giving in and admitting that the fights were all my fault. I didn't want to be alone or left by him. My fear of abandonment that started with my father was overwhelming.
0: In late 2008, on a business trip in Taiwan, I took a high-speed train between meetings in the northern part of the country to the southern part. In the course of three hours, I got on that train and off that train a different person, thanks to God's divine intervention. Matthew 7:24 through 27 says, "'Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them "'will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock.'" And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. I had grown tired of the sand and was ready to rebuild. I returned to Deidre with the gift that God gave me of eyes that could see my life clearly, my addictions the right view of priorities, and the fact that I needed to orient everything around Christ as the center. We searched for a church and found Watermark at the beginning of 2009 and never left, experiencing an unimaginably faithful body there. God slowly began to change me as he gave me power over struggles and stripped them away. First infidelity, then pornography, then less anger and more gentleness, then less materialism and greed, then ground taken with lust in my mind and so on, We began efforts to start a family, something that couldn't be considered seriously previously with the volatility of our marriage. And I felt that God had rescued me just in time to save our marriage, and just as 2 Corinthians 5.17 illustrates, since the old me was gone, dead and buried, I considered the need to ever bring my past to light gone with it. I truly believed this for a few years until I matured as a believer and knew God's word better. It was then, it was clear that light and dark have no fellowship, as scripture says, and that I needed to confess to truly bring healing and oneness. But by then, our marriage was healing and I couldn't imagine voluntarily destroying it again. Again, I had a problem with trusting just how amazingly good Jesus is.
1: Alan's business trip to Taiwan changed our lives. I saw a transformation in him that was incredible and started realizing he certainly couldn't be doing this on his own. God was doing work in his heart. God used Alan to bring me to him. He had his hand on me as he was chipping away at the false identity I was satisfying through the need to feel accepted. After some reluctance, we decided to join a community group, which has been the best decision in our walk with the Lord. The fighting decreased as we took some of our problems to the group and started trusting God and doing things His way, leaning not on our own understanding my trust in Alan gradually increased. We started growing together, putting God in the center of our relationship. Don't get me wrong, our marriage was by no means a 10, but it was improving from the low we were at before. Divorce was now off the table and not to be threatened.
0: In March 2015, God finally gave me the courage, driven by the trust in him, to confess to Dieter who I'd been. I couldn't have and probably wouldn't have done this without community. Mark 14:38 says the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak and i refused to put off life-giving confession any longer so i needed to bring it into the light and have my community hold me accountable the aftermath was traumatic traumatic for us both as i watched my best friend suffer from my betrayal it was excruciating Deidre was devastated to learn the truth and in turn i was broken hearted to see the pain that my sin had caused after our marriage had been resurrected Intimacy was destroyed again, and we each shed so many tears in the ensuing days. Really, God, this was your plan? The answer was a resounding yes, and I'm so thankful that Jesus gave me the ability to trust and hope in him while it was happening. Right before my confession, Kyle Kegler told me at lunch that there are two main things that break marital intimacy, past abuse and hidden sin. Check and check. The intimacy we had wasn't the full beauty of the intimacy that God promised, And he is so good, he desires more for his children and their marriages. In chapter 2, verse 25, the prophet Joel relays a promise from God. I will restore to you the years the locusts have eaten. Psalm 147.3 says, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. God could not have been more faithful to those truths. And finally, 2 Corinthians 12.9 says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Paul goes on to write what I myself can attest to. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. We were very weak indeed, but God wasn't done.
1: Alan's confession made me lose my trust in him again, which rocked my world. I drew back and allowed my flesh to take over as I was having difficulty distinguishing uh, distinguishing truth versus lies. Instead of displaying the fruits of the Spirit, I found false contentment in making him feel bad for what he had done to me. This led me to acknowledge that I was just a lukewarm believer, and Jesus says in Revelation 3.16, "...because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I put my hope in circumstances and let them be my anchor instead of Christ. Being able to forgive was something I knew I needed to do, but held on to not doing it tightly." I would will myself to say that I forgave him so that it looked like I was being obedient, but God knew my true heart. With the help of community who had been pressing hard into me, my hard heart was finally softening enough to understand the grossness of my own sins, and the scale slowly started to fall from my eyes. Ezekiel 36:26 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. After realizing the grace God had shown me and the stone being chipped away, I was finally able to see the Holy Spirit working in me. It had been nudging me to recognize then in my own life that I was so ashamed of that I kept pushing it back down. Each time I suppressed it, it would come knocking back even more forceful until after much pleading and prayer, I finally decided that a hidden secret of mine had to be shared if I were to be obedient to God's word and fully restore oneness in my relationship with my husband. One evening in April 2017, I confessed to Alan that I was unfaithful to him during our early years of dating. My need to be fulfilled by a man led me to seek out someone else when times were rough in Alan's and my relationship. I had patterned myself to seek this attention from others and let my flesh take over. After my confession, I truly felt that God took a hold of me and this obedience brought me closer to him, as without it, my walk wouldn't be where it is today. This was all God working in me. I was scared as to what Alan's reaction would be if it would be similar to my reaction to him, full of hatred. I thought he would surely leave me, but being faithful and obedient was more important. He met met me with immediate forgiveness that completely blew my mind. After everything I put him through, he was able to love the sinner and hate the sin.
0: God has radically redefined me. The adjectives I could have used to define myself BC before Christ were addicted, angry, controlling, deceitful, dishonest, doomed, empty, enslaved, graceless, greedy, hard hearted, selfish, unloving, unkind, unforgiving, and on and on. But praise God that that's not who I am anymore. Sorry. I'm still broken. I'm still a sinner in desperate need of grace. But now I'm increasingly defined as loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, having goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If those things sound familiar, it's because it's what God promises and delivers on in Galatians five twenty two through 23. I've hidden God's word in my heart, desiring to rely on his wisdom and his ways rather than my own. So I needed to know them well by memorizing many of them. I prioritized time with the Lord to read and journal over the Bible in the mornings and listen to what God's trying to reveal. I turned to God throughout the day in prayer, acknowledging how badly I need him in all things, and I need to do this a lot more. My negative patterns of escalation and withdrawal as forms of self-protection have been replaced with healthier communication, seeking to understand Deidre and use conflict as an opportunity for us to grow closer. As I abide closely with Christ, he allows his word to be the lens through which I evaluate the world, my marriage, and all of my own decisions in both. That brings clarity and conviction as I consistently repent from sin, confess to Deidre and our children, and seek forgiveness when what they experience and see modeled by me is not what God intends. He enables me to continually give my life away to Deidre and our children as I consider my time, talents, and treasures to be God's and desire to use them faithfully in our family. And the love and desire that I have for my wife is something that I never thought possible. Our marriage is sweet and a source of joy now, ever growing alongside a faithful community group that we do life with and that spurs us on.
1: I continue to examine my heart and ask God to break it for what breaks his. I am a sinner who desperately needs Christ. Praise God, I now have a relationship with him that I'm excited to deepen. Being in his word consistently is truly my daily bread, and his provision throughout my life has proven that he is faithful and trustworthy. It means a lot that I can model, although imperfectly, this relationship to my kids so they can grow up knowing who he is and what he did for us, that he loved us before we loved him, even in our deepest sin. Christ has shown me that to remain unforgiving shows I have not understood that I deeply need to be forgiven, and for that I can understand my need to forgive. I'm learning that my codependency on Alan is not going to bring life, rather trusting in Christ alone will. He has promised that we will have trouble in this world and to consider it joy when we do, because the testing of our faith produces perseverance. Living for my flesh, for this world has brought pain, misery, and destruction. But living for Christ brings pure joy. Our marriage is completely different now in that we constantly ask forgiveness even in the little things. This has rolled out to our kids as well, where we strive to model for them what repentance and and forgiveness look like. I never knew marriage could possibly be this sweet, but with God, it is absolutely possible and truly amazing.
0: If this is your first night here at Reengage, welcome. If this is a return visit, welcome back. We're so glad that you trust this church body with your time. More importantly, We're so thankful that you trust this Jesus with the ability to give hope, to soften hearts, to heal the sick, to give sight to the blind, to allow the deaf to hear, to make the lame walk, to calm the storms and the seas, to breathe life into what's decaying, and to resurrect what may be dying. And if you think that I don't mean every one of those miracles to apply to each of us in our marriages, we'd love to talk with you more because we've experienced it.
1: Going through the re-engage curriculum has been a helpful provision to learn how to biblically deal with conflict and communication issues. Whether you rate your marriage a 1 or a 10, what you learn as you trust in him can only deepen your relationship with your spouse and with the Jesus that wants and brings joy for us. No, this ministry will not solve all your problems so that when you graduate, you'll be all good and never have to work on your marriage again. Instead, it gives a firm foundation for how to properly align your life and center your marriage around Christ and the tools to deal with issues that arise in your marriage. Marriage is something you'll always have to work at but being able to lean on him and put your hope in him is the only way it will be successful and joyful.
0: We would encourage you not to waste time trusting that Jesus is who he says he is. Believe that he's the one that gives life into the fullest. Believe that he is trustworthy in Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, when he promises that his plans are to prosper you and not to harm you or your marriage, to give you a hope in a future. Confess those things that are hidden, that are keeping you from the beauty of true intimacy that I didn't believe possible. Submit all areas of your life and marriage to God's power and abide in him deeply to produce the fruit that will be life-giving.